Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. And you are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cent. You can follow us on Twitter or send us an email to afternoon at newstalk.com. Uh, uh, just going back to that piece that we uh, were talking about at the start of the show, uh, Archie Battersby. And uh, this uh, it's an awful situation, really. But he's, he's, he's 12 year old. The doctor, he's 12 years of age. Uh, her, uh, his doctors say that essentially he's brain dead. Uh, they want to turn off life support. His parents are opposing that and there's this battle going on uh, through the court now because I, I did say we'd, we'll, we apparently the situation sounds a bit more complicated but we're trying to get some sort of uh, um, clarification on that but it seems as if the UK the law is that if the doctor says uh, that the person in question uh, is brain dead that uh, uh, they have the right to the doctor has the right to turn off the machine uh, with or without uh, the parents uh, permission uh, David Quinn on uh, who you know uh, on Twitter says uh uh, he says, without knowing too much about the details of this case, uh, Catholic moral theology does allow the switching off of ventilators in certain circumstances. So, uh, which is interesting actually, because Archie's parents are Christian, and that's to some degree or another uh, informing their uh, uh, their opposition uh, uh, to this. Uh, their argument, or at least part of their argument, is outside the legal argument is that God should be allowed to uh, make the decision as to, as to where and in what circumstances he dies, uh, which is, you know, in, as I say, in part uh, prompted uh, their legal battle. Anyway, as you know, there was quite a bit of controversy over the weekend when the wife of the president, Sabina Higgins, wrote a letter urging Russia and Ukraine to sit down for peace talks. So technically, what kind of position is the spouse of a president in? Are they required to be circumspect in, in their opinions? And have any others caused this kind of controversy? Laura Cahalane is a senior law lecturer in the University of Limerick. Laura, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Sean. So it, it, the spouse of the president, are, the, are they technically just a private citizen like anybody else? Essentially, yes. I mean, the president certainly has certain restrictions um, having been appointed in terms of their their role and duties under the constitution. But you couldn't apply any of those same restrictions to the spouse of the president. And I suppose in this issue, there's I suppose there, there's two questions on this. There's first of all, the issue of the spouse of a president expressing controversial opinions. But there's the second issue of those opinions being published on the official website of the president, which in some way assumes that it has received the endorsement of the president. And it's really that second issue which is problematic rather than the spouse of the president themselves simply expressing opinions as a private citizen. Right. So if she just sent a letter to the Irish Times or something and and that, that would have been, you know, people would agree or disagree with her, but that 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 wouldn't be an issue. Exactly. So if it had just um, been published in the Irish Times as it had been initially, and if it hadn't appeared on the website, there wouldn't really have been any issue. I mean, we have seen spouses of presidents being involved in um, various activities in the past. For example, Martin McAleese uh, met the UDA, for example, and was involved for many years in negotiations in relation to ceasefire in Northern Ireland and at times did raise eyebrows. And, and this was questioned as, as it, uh, whether it was appropriate and I think the government at the time used the words that this was the peaceful private pursuits of the spouse of the president. So we're not particularly bothered as long as it's not seen to be representing the voice of the president. And if it is, then that's where it becomes an issue. And particularly in this context where it involves international relations or foreign affairs, which is clearly in the realm of the government and not something that the office of the president is supposed to be getting involved in. 
uh, have spouses, presidential spouses in this country anyway, up until, I don't know, my impression is up until relatively recently, you know, you wouldn't have known who they were. Definitely. And I, I think, I suppose it matches the fact that the role of the presidency itself has evolved over recent years. I mean, traditionally, the role of the president in Ireland was very conservative, um, mainly looking at that kind of head of state role up until the office of uh, or up until the presidency of Mary Robinson. Actually, there were many calls for the office to be um, abolished completely. People asked, you know, did we even need uh, the office of the president? And Mary Robinson began by sort of pushing the boundaries and doing things that were out of the ordinary and um, liberalising the office. She would have said that she was a voice for the people as well as simply representing the kind of the traditional roles of, of head of state and guardian of the constitution. And I suppose as that role evolved as well, the spouses of the president became more involved. So you would see, you know, Nick, for example, with Mary, you know, on sort of official business and in the same way Martin McAleese became involved in um, the activities of the president and certainly we've very much seen Sabina to the fore um, with the presidency of Michael D. Higgins as well. So I suppose they've evolved in the same way as we've seen the office of the president evolving as well. Yeah and I wonder could you argue that in this instance maybe some other instances as well, uh, that Sabina is almost like an avatar for the president in that we both know they're, you know, politically they're cut from the same cloth, uh, but he can't say things, we know that, so she can say these things. She's kind of like, you know, what he's, this is what he's thinking. Well, this is the issue, and particularly when it was published on the website of, you know, the official president's uh, website, that's the question that a lot of people are asking is who made that decision? Why was it decided to publish it on the website? Now it has been taken off, but there's been no comment about the fact that it was put up there in the first place or why it was taken down. And there was a statement from the president just affirming the support for Ukraine, but no mention of, of, you know, the fact that the letter was put up there in the first place. And I suppose the reason that this is so controversial is because questions have been asked more and more frequently about um, the interventions of Michael D. Higgins into areas of policy. And we saw it very recently in relation to housing and questions are being asked as to whether or not he is overstepping the boundary, getting involved in political issues. And certainly the government were very unhappy that time because his his comments were so popular on an issue that, you know, is could have been taken as critical of government policy and government weren't really in a position to to answer because you can't criticise the president, of course. So I suppose maybe some people are worried that this is another way of, of the president being vocal on issues that he's not really supposed to be vocal on while in this particular office. Yeah, though when we say not supposed to be vocal on, is this all from convention, Laura? Or, are you know, are there a set of regulations governing the, 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 the way the president's supposed to act. Well, here is where things get quite tricky because the Constitution does not say the president is not permitted to intervene in political issues. But that's not really the way constitutions are normally written. So instead, the way it's set up is it it shows us the roles that the president has. So he has two main roles under the Constitution. He has the role of head of state and his role as guardian of the Constitution and various different activities are given to him under those various roles. And it 
it's quite clearly set up to make sure that there's not going to be any sort of um, contradiction and any controversy between the role of president and the role of uh, government. So a lot of the president's activities are only performable on the advice of government, which means he has to essentially look for permission before he does them. And, you know, he can't even leave the state without governmental consent. He's supposed to ask for permission if he wants to address the nation. So it's clearly set up to make sure that the presidency will be a neutral office. And that's really important because he does have some very important constitutional duties where in a crisis, the president can act with discretion. And it is important that he is seen as politically neutral in in those times, because obviously, if he was seen as biased, you know, towards particular policies or towards particular political parties, for example, that could then cause a constitutional crisis. So you need to have somebody neutral in that position in order to exercise those duties properly. So when you have sort of worries creeping in about the political neutrality of the presidency, that is where things get a little bit tricky. But as I said, you know, people do get confused about this because it it is, a lot of it is convention. And because of the fact that the constitution doesn't say in black and white, you know, this is not something the president can do. Mm. Now, but at the same time, would you think it would be fair to argue that over the last three presidents we've had, those conventions are being stretched more and more? Definitely. So, as I say, it, it started with Mary Robinson, who definitely did extend the boundaries of the presidency, you know, did a lot of controversial things and, um, you know, wasn't particularly popular with the government, but was extremely popular with um, the, the Irish people at the time. And this was something which was carried on by Mary McAleese and certainly by Michael D. Higgins as well. I mean, they've been three extremely popular um, presidents, have kind of made, re- refreshed the role really and have made the role into something modern, something new. Again, we've we've never heard any calls for the presidency to be abolished since Mary Robinson took office, you know, so it definitely has revitalised the presidency and many people enjoy the fact that it has become a more representative role for the people. Um, And that's all very well and good, I suppose, as long as those boundaries aren't pushed too far and as long as there is a maintenance of that line between policy and the role of the presidency, because if the president becomes overtly critical or clearly critical of government policy, that's where the line has been crossed. If you're just talking about aspirational um, areas or, you know, things that might affect the, the country in general without, you know, drilling down into the detail of policy, that seemed to be OK as long mm. as you don't go too far. Yeah. So so when he previously described then that, that the housing situation was a disaster in this country, that, that was that skirting on the edges of it? I suppose that comes down to personal um, interpretation of the (laughs) issue. I mean, if you look at the wording of what he said, I think he was quite careful to try to keep it at the aspirational level. But certainly you could make an argument that that was maybe going too far into policy. He didn't go into specific policies exactly, but that was a a danger area, let's say. Yeah. At the same time, uh, Michael D and the uh, and the two Marys before it all uh, you know kind of got away with it. I'm putting air quotes around that um, because they were hugely popular, which you know at, at the end of the day does bring it back to politics. 
Yes. And again, I suppose the people know who they're voting for. So, I mean, there is a big campaign beforehand. We know who the candidates are. Michael D had a very long track record of campaigning on these types of issues. So we do know who we're voting for when we're voting um, for these people. But at the same time, the candidates themselves know that once they get to the Auris, they are expected now to become this more neutral figure. You know, they do know that there are limits on what they can do and say once they get there. And I mean, if it is the case that they are really still interested in um, campaigning on issues, then maybe they should be going for election um, to the doll rather than to uh, the presidency. Yeah. So are we at the point now, do you think, Laura, though, in terms of of the role itself, that it's probably being pushed as far as it can be? Possibly. I mean, I think it's very well recognised now that the presidency is more liberal than, you know, simply a reading of the Constitution, you know, the black and white of it would suggest. And I think people will expect that presidents will, um, you know, speak out on issues generally. But certainly, I think if it were the case that presidents were becoming um, too vocal, that that's something governments might look at. Because, again, if if everybody agrees with what the president is saying, this doesn't always pose an issue. You know, everyone agreed with the homelessness comments. So Mm. that wasn't really a big issue. But if you have, you know, imagine a Trump-like president who starts saying things that we don't necessarily agree with or that certain proportions of the population don't agree with, that's where things become really difficult. And if it was going to start causing problems, then I would imagine that the government would be looking at putting something into the constitution to you know, actually restrict what the president can or can't say. Though I think if we uh, voted in a president uh, uh, of that nature, something uh, uh, horribly wrong would already have happened uh, in this country. Uh, Laura, thanks a million for speaking with us today. That was Dr. Laura Cahalane there, Senior Lecturer-in-Law at the University of Limerick. Yeah, we're going to take a break. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on Newstalk. After that, should we bring back cheerfulness? Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.